So if you got a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be there this morning for our time together. Let me tell you about two things as we begin. First of all is that next Sunday is Trunk or Treat, and so uh, we are excited about that. We're ready for it, but we need your help with it. So first of all, if you're a parent with young kids, we want to invite you to come, bring your kids, bring your, your kids' friends as well, and join us out in the parking lot for that. Second of all, if we have all those kids come and we've got nothing for them to do, we're in trouble. So we need your help as a church to show up and show up big in a way that is going to help us um, have truck or treat next Sunday. So you can do that by having a booth that kids can come by to, some type of activity or game, and, and then give them a candy, let them go to the next booth after that. If you want to help with food or if you want to help bring food or provide food, any of that's great. But listen, when I say we need help, that's not just me talking. Like we really do need help. And right now we don't have much. And so if you're in a small group, if your group can do two or three booths, that'd be great. If you're in an Intergen group and your group can do a booth or two or three, that'd be great. If you just want to come and do a booth as a family or, or with friends, whatever, that would be great. And here's how you can know more. If you go to amevent.net, you'll see on the back of the bulletin, amevent.net, you can see things to do, ideas, or just tell us what you want to do. But we kind of need to know you're coming, if you're coming, and not just a surprise on that day. So go amevent.net, let us know you're coming. If questions, call the office, we'll answer them, be glad to. But we want to make next week a really good week for our community, for our young families, and, uh, and help us do that, please. Second thing I'll tell you about is that in the Great Hall, is your, if you went straight up the Great Hall, on the left side, up against the glass, you would see a house that has some, some boxes in it. They're called Magi boxes. And those boxes are ones we fill every year, and we send to missionaries to then distribute to people that need it. And so we've got about 100 boxes that we are able to fill. We've got about 15 left. So a lot of them have been taken already, but we want to fill those last 15. So you can either grab a box, or if you would rather, you can go grab, there's, there's red tickets on that house. Take a ticket or two off there, bring what it says back to us, and we'll use those to, to supplement the other boxes that need it and, and go from there. I'm excited because those boxes bring so much joy, and they bring it in the name of Jesus as they go out. So as missionaries give those to kids, our boxes this year are all going to Zambia, and so excited for those blessings to go to Zambia, and excited for what's in there. Um, we went a few weeks back with our middle school and high school students, went to Walmart, spent an hour or so there just shopping and filling boxes, filled about 12 boxes there, and y'all, the stuff we put in them. It's not just all toys. It's it's underwear and it's socks and it's soap and it's it's toothbrushes and toothpastes and things that you we just take for granted that are not taken for granted in other places. And so, if you can help us do that, that would be great. All right, Colossians chapter one. So this is a, the next part in our series about Colossians. Greg and, and Kelly have been teaching it and walking through some stuff. Start at the end, going back to the beginning. We're almost to the beginning, and we come to this incredible part in Colossians chapter 1 that talks about the supremacy of Jesus. So I'm just going to read this and just jump into it. So here's verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things, listen, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, in a little bit, we're going to keep going and go all the way to verse 23, but for now, we're going to stop there because there's some things that I want you to see. And if you've got your Bible, then invite you to be in that this morning. I'm also going to have them on the screen so you can see it, just to make sure we're not leaving anyone behind. But y'all, we're just going to go kind of verse through verse with this and just kind of unpack it, if that's okay. So that's what we're doing this morning. So when I was a senior in high school, I had to go get my driver's license renewed for my 18th birthday. I went to the Department of Public Safety. I grew up in Arlington, Texas, so I went to this incredible establishment there that took way too long, it seemed like, when you went in to get done what you needed to get done. And I went in thinking, this is not going to be bad. Because like most people, I was an above-average driver, and so I figured that would be pretty easy to go in and be able to take care of what I needed to take care of there. And it was all going really well. I had all the paperwork I needed. I filled the, the, the documents out in the right way that I should have filled them out. And it came time, and they said, please step over and lean into the machine and tell us what you see. And so I go over to the little vision machine. What, I don't know what it's called. The little thing you look into, right? And so you, I was looking into it, and my first thought was, something's got to be wrong because everything was blurry. And I noticed that I could read the top line, but I couldn't read the one. She's like, no, five lines down. I was like, man, there's nothing there. Five lines down. This is some gray spots, because whoever was here before me must have messed, like they sneezed or something, because this is all blurry. And come to find out, it actually wasn't blurry. I was the one who was blurry. I couldn't see, because my vision had changed so much since the last time I got my driver's license renewed when I passed the test, this time that I couldn't. So she told me that in order to be a person who has the privilege of driving in the state of Texas, I needed to go to eye doctor and let them check me out. Bring a doctor's note back, said I could see, I'd be able to get my driver's license, life could go on. The doctor did not want to give me a note that said I could see because I couldn't see. So instead, he gave me glasses. And I remember that as I left and I, I went home the day I got my glasses and I was driving home, and I could see things that I had forgotten were there. And the most the most um, memorable of those things for me were leaves on trees. Because I had forgotten there were leaves on trees. I mean, in theory, I knew it, right? But I'd forgotten what they looked like. I think I thought like a coloring book when, you know, you draw the trunk and it's brown and you just do green above it, you know? Like, that's what I was seeing. Everything was blurry above that trunk. And all of a sudden, I could see trees. I was seeing things I couldn't see before. It was, it was a whole new experience driving home. I was seeing things in my town that I'd forgotten or had never seen. I was seeing street signs. I was seeing other cars. It was incredible, all the things that I was able to see when my vision was changed. And I want to say that I think our spiritual walk with God is a lot like that sometimes. That there are times that we get so used to not seeing what we don't see that we forget the things that are really there. And this morning, I pray that as we're looking at this passage about who Jesus is and what Paul says about him, that you see some things that maybe you haven't seen in a while. Or maybe you're seeing some things for the first time. Or you're looking and you're able to, with renewed vision, by the power of God in our lives and by the power of God in the Word of God, that you see some things and see Jesus for who he truly is. So let's pray and then we're going to jump in. So God, I pray that for the next few minutes you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes to who you are that everything that we say would be of you and would be to your glory, um, and God, that you would help us, um, help us to grow in you. Give us faith that's strong. Speak through me, please, in whatever way you want to. It's through Jesus that I pray. Amen. So let's look, look at verse 15. Verse 15 is where he just, he just begins, and he doesn't start in a 
in a weak way. He starts in a powerful way. And so he says this, he is the image of the invisible God. And you know that whenever he says he, he's talking about Jesus. So can we go back up one, Gary? It says that he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And when we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about who he is, and we're talking about his presence, I want you to notice a few things. First of all, he says he's the image of the invisible God. It means that although God is a spirit and cannot be seen, God became human. And through Jesus Christ, we're able to see who God is. So imagine kind of a reflection in the mirror. And a reflection where you're looking at yourself in the mirror. And you see the way you are as you really are. And you may not like what you see, but you see what you are. And so if it's a hair out of place or something on your face or something on your clothes, you're seeing the image of that. It's a, unless it's a funny mirror, it's an exact image. And Paul was saying that Jesus was the exact image of God on earth. But I want you to notice that if Paul had wanted to say that Jesus was a similar image to God, he would have said he's a similar image to God. If he would have said he's a symbol of God on earth, he would have said he's a symbol of God on earth. If he wanted to say he's a representation of God on earth, he would have said he's a representation of God on earth. But he didn't say that. He said he's the image of God on earth, and that's important, and it's important that you, need, that you know that. And it's also important that you know that this book was written about 60 A.D., at the time that Paul is writing it, he's writing this book, and there are people that were, that were alive when Jesus was alive, and people that are still alive when Paul's writing this. So it's not just something that Paul's kind of coming up with. This idea of like, let me tell you about Jesus. I'll just say some things about it, and, and you're not going to know any different anyway. Because the people that were alive would know different if Paul was writing something that wasn't inspired by God, if Paul was writing something that wasn't true. But what he wrote was true. He's the image of the invisible God. And so when Jesus says in John 14, 9, he, he says this. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's exactly right. When Jesus came to the earth, he was the image of God on earth. He was God on earth. Notice also that the word firstborn is in here, firstborn over all creation. And you would look at that and you'd think, oh, firstborn is in like the first in order, right? He's the first one of the family. He was the first one born. In other words, he's created. And Paul would say, that's, that's not true. This word firstborn does not mean firstborn as in Jesus is created. He wasn't born like a human being was born or like a, like a duck or a dog or an iguana. It was that Jesus is over all creation. This word firstborn, it's not talking about chronology. It's talking about the, the order of how things are, the hierarchy of things. And so you need to understand that it's not chronological, it's positional. It's a metaphor that talks about the position of where Jesus is, that he is over all creation. His position, his place is over all of creation. He was not born into creation. He was a part of creation, and we know that because of verse 16. So look at verse 16. It says, For by him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things are created by him and for him. Paul leaves no doubt to try to figure out, was Jesus there in the beginning? Or did Jesus come along sometime as a part of creation? Paul says, no, he was there in the beginning. By him, all things were created. 
He was there and he was creating. He was the one that was, that was creating it by. He was fully God on earth, but he was fully God as a part of the God in heaven too at the time of creation. And things visible, things that we can see. We can see stuff all around us. You see stuff. You see stuff that other people see. You see stuff that other people don't see. But there's this invisible thing that Paul's saying. And what he's talking about is it's the invisible things that happen on earth. And we can talk about, okay, there's things we can't see, the wind. We don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. We don't see God, but we see the effects of God. But think about love for a second. We don't see love. You can definitely see the effects of love, and you can see what love looks like at times, but you can't see love. Forgiveness, we've all experienced forgiveness, but we don't see forgiveness. So it's the visible and it's the invisible things that Jesus has made. And then he keeps on going. And he says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, I mean, come on. He's saying all things were created by him and for him. Now, a lot of commentators say that the the thrones and powers and rulers and authorities was a pushback from Paul toward people that said that Jesus is just an angel. He's just an angel. He's a little bit less than God. He was the angel that God sent to this earth, like a special agent coming to do a mission on this earth. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's not what it was. He's saying that he is over all those things. Any other dominion, any over, other power, any other ruler, Jesus is over those things. All things are created by him and for him. And I want to stop for just a minute and look at the end of that verse. And when it says all things have been created through him and for him, and, and, and take the all things for a second, and, and, and leave the all things global, and think of all things as in you. And if you're one of the all things, which you are, Jesus tells you everything you need to know. Paul tells you, God tells you through this word, everything you need to know about who you are and what your purpose is. And everybody's trying to figure out, who am I and what my purpose? And Paul lays it out so clearly. You are created through him and for him. You're created by him and for him. So there is why you're here. And there is also what you're doing here. It's the who you are and the why you're here. It's by Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's for Jesus. So when you think about your life and you think about your value, your value is inherent because you're a creation of Jesus. It's not because of any talent you have or any gift you have or any possession that you have. Those things are great if you have them, but those do not determine your value. Only Jesus determines your value, and that's really hard to understand in our world that places so much value on what you can do. And if you can do something, you're good enough. And if you can't do something, you're not good enough. And if you look a certain way, you're good enough. And if you don't look a certain way, you're not good enough. And Jesus would come and say, no. Your value is true because of who I am. And your value is there because of Jesus. So no job, no accomplishment, no boy, no girl, no degree, no possession, no fame, no money, no success can ever exceed what's already true about you sitting in your seat right now. Because Jesus Christ is the one that gives you glory. I don't know about you, I get excited about that. Because when it comes to things that I do, I fail all the time. I don't seem to measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And yet, I don't have to be because of Jesus. It's an incredible thing that we know who we are. So you are who you are because of Jesus. But also, you're created, you're created for him. 
So you may have a gift, some talent, some ability. You may be able to drive a truck really great or be an accountant, or you may have a skill or a, a musical gift or able to do anything. But all those things, that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to know God and be in relationship with him. And you need to know that. And you need to understand that because anything else you try to do, you're going to be frustrated time and time and time again because you're living outside your purpose. Your purpose is to know God and be in a relationship with him, to worship him, to give praise back to him, to honor him, to reflect back to him all the greatness that he has put in you. That's who you are. That's what you do. And that's why we exist. Because we're by him and before him. So if there's anybody in the room that's wondering, why am I here, and what am I doing here, you can search a lot of places for that answer. But you're going to come up empty every time until you look to what God says, that you are here as a precious creation of the Almighty God, and you're here to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and to shine your light for him in this world. That's the purpose of your life. So right here at the beginning, Paul just starts unpacking it. And he just brings it, and he brings it, brings it quick, and he brings it strong, but we're just now getting started. So look at verse 17, because verse 17 says this. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if you've noticed, and you're going to have to use your own Bible for this to look at this, but notice how many times it says all things in this passage. Because at the beginning in verse 16, sorry, 15, he says all creation, but then 16, for in him all things were created. And then at the end of 16, all things have been created. Verse 17, all things in him and all things hold together. It's in there over and over and over again. If there's any doubt that Paul is leaving in your mind that he meant all things or that Jesus was a part of all things or Jesus was the creator of all things, he says, have no doubt. Because it's not just one thing. It's not just some things. It's all things. And Paul wants you to know that. So verses 15, 16, and 17 talk about how Jesus, Jesus is Lord over creation. But then Paul turns, and from 18, 19, and 20, he talks about how Jesus is Lord over the redemption, that he's the head of the church, that he's the firstborn among the dead. So look at verse 18. He is the head of the body. This is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So if you've ever heard anyone saying it's all about Jesus, and you've ever wondered what exactly that means, I don't think I can spell it out for you any more clearly than what Paul did. Because he says that he created everything that exists. And he goes and he talks about that, that he's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. So the church, in a global sense, if the church is functioning correctly, we say there is no person that's the head of the church. It is Jesus that's the head of the church. And so the global church, we look to Jesus, we follow Jesus, we are led by the Spirit of God in following and doing the work of God in our communities and in this world. And so what does that mean for us as a local church? As our church here, so in youth ministry, students for AFC ministry, for all of us in general as a church, as we come together, it means this, Jesus better be the head. Because if he's not, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble really quickly. And if you wonder why we as churches can get so mixed up and we can get 
we, we can get messed up in our direction and in our focus and in our purpose. It's because we're not living out this verse that says Jesus is the head of the church. We make it about human things instead of about godly things. And we are content to go and make it about what's comfortable to us and miss out on what God may be calling us to. So if you wonder why we can argue so well or why we can want our own way so well or why we can be grumpy and avoid other people who also call themselves believers in Christ so well is because we don't do so well, myself included, at this verse, that he is the head of the body, the church. But he also says, let me say one more thing. If, if we talk about this body, the church, and we've been talking a lot lately about find hope and live with purpose, which is an incredible thing for people to find in this world. But you have to know that hope is defined only by one word. And if we define it by anything else other than Jesus, we're calling people to something that's really not going to matter in their lives. And so when we say find hope and live with purpose, it's find Jesus and live for Jesus. And that's what it means. And that's the only thing it can mean is we help people in this community and in this world to see Jesus more clearly. So he says he's the firstborn from among the dead. Again, it's not talking about the order. It's not talking about chronology. It's, it's talking about the positional place of this and the hierarchy of it. And so that Jesus would be the firstborn, um, the firstborn among the dead. We know that can't be true, right? Because if he's the first, if he's the first one to be raised from the dead, well, what about Lazarus? And what about the widow of Nain's son? And what about Jairus' daughter? And these, these people that are raised from the dead. So Jesus was not the first. But positionally, he's the firstborn among the dead. The hierarchy, he is the first among all of, all of those. All those who have been raised and all those who will be raised. Jesus is the number one of all of those things. And then how this verse ends, that he might have the supremacy. That he would have first place. That he would be preeminent. I want you to just put that verse in your mind and bookmark it for a second because we're going to come back to it and you got to know this verse. So one thing that... Paul's writing about is, is you need to know that as we go through this and look at this, he's going to keep writing and he's going to say some things that are going to make sense because of what he's already said. Now we've gone backwards and looked at this and we've looked at the, the way the book ends and in doing so we've seen this incredible verse out of Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Paul didn't call it chapter 3 verse 1, that's just what we call it. But it's a verse that really comes true because chapter 1 verse 18 is, is true. So because he would have supremacy in everything, that makes this next verse come through. So here is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Since then, set your... Where? Okay. So the reason our students... By the way, did anyone else do that? Did y'all play the game at all? It was a good job, guys. That was really well done. Thank you very much for that. If you wonder why our students know that, it's because we're so passionate about them knowing who Jesus is. I'm great for them to come to church, but the church is not going to save them. Only Jesus can save us. And they've got to know that. So because of that, and because we've been raised with Christ, we set our hearts on things above where Christ is. Because he, and he alone, is seated at the right hand of God. And we set our minds on earthly things, 
sorry, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. For we died, and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so verse 4 of chapter 3 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's something our students have learned. That's something that we have been teaching for a long time, and that's something they've, they've got. And I want you to know those things too. And Paul wanted us to know those things. And he wanted the church in Colossae to know those things. So if you don't mind, we're going to play the same game, but we're going to play the same game with a verse out of Colossians chapter 1. So this is the verse. It says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we're going to take some words away, and you say the words that are gone. I'll say the words that are there. Don't let me down. Can you handle it? I'm not very confident at all based on that whatsoever. I'm not talking. It's church. Okay, so here we go. He is the head of? Yeah, the body. Good job. So he is the head of? The church. He is the? Okay. Gary, go back up one slide. Beginning. There you go. Okay, now are you ready? Okay, back down one slide. He is the head of? He, the church. Did I get that right? Yeah, okay, start over. He is the head of? The church. He is the? And the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. All right, Gary, let's go one more. Who can keep playing? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from? Go back up one. From among the dead. Okay, there you go. From among the dead. Okay, go back down to where we were so that in everything he might have the supremacy. All right, next one. He, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. That's next week, so be ready next week. Yeah, we'll do that then. It'll be good. All right. So that's verse 18, that he is the supremacy. And if you don't believe it for what Paul said at that point, then look at verse 19 because he keeps on going. He says, For God was pleased to have part of himself dwell in him. That's not what it says. He was pleased to have a portion of his holiness dwell in him. That's not it. Look at what it says. It says, For he was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And that struck me as so profound because when I think of God, I think as powerful Lord who spoke the universe into existence. And God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ on earth. He was fully God and he was fully man on this earth, walking, teaching, redeeming God's people. And that's an incredible thought. Because it's not just part of his holiness that was here. And it's not just part of God who was here. It was fully God that was here, all of his fullness. That's an incredible statement. Don't miss what that means. But then look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So not only did Jesus create you, Jesus shed his blood to redeem you, and so Jesus gets the supremacy. For every breath you breathe, every day that you live, Jesus should be supreme in your life. He should be preeminent in your life. He should be first in your life. Because he created you and he redeemed you. Y'all, it takes sight to be able to see that. And it takes sight when you may have seen something for so long that 
you've known Jesus and you've known of Jesus, but you've not walked with Jesus in a way that Jesus is first because so many other things have taken God's first place in your life. And so Jesus becomes just one more thing in life. We've got our bills to pay, our job to do, our car to drive, our school to go to, our friends to hang out with. We've got our relationships, whatever it is that we have. Oh, and there's Jesus as well. And Jesus is one more add-on, and Jesus will not be an add-on in our lives. Jesus deserves first place, and Jesus should have first place in our lives. Verse 20, when you look at it, it helps us to see why the cross and, and the things that happened, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And notice that word reconcile. You know, if you're balancing a bank statement and it's balanced, you don't have to reconcile anything, right? If there's, ever, if there's a, anything you're working on and everything is good, it's all even, it's all perfect, you don't have to reconcile a thing. And the reason the word reconcile in there is in there, and the reason reconcile is there not just once but twice is because there was something wrong. Because we, in our lives, had let ourselves be enemies with God. We had chosen our ways over God's ways. We had chosen to walk in our paths instead of God's paths. Look at verse 21. It tells why verse 20 is necessary. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, and he says, why? And it's this, because of your evil behavior. Behavior not just meaning what you would do, but your thoughts, your actions, your will, your desires. Y'all, our flesh is so strong. And it takes us away from God so often. But when we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord, and I want you to be number one in my life, it starts to change everything. But look at verse 22. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so if you've got a Bible and you can see verse 21 and verse 22 at the same time, you notice verse 21 starts with once you, and verse 22 starts with but now. So once you, and this is the condition of all of us, this is where all of us have been. Once you were alienated from God because of your choices, but now because of Jesus' choice, because the blood of Jesus on the cross, we are brought into right relationship with God. But there's something else in verse 22 I want you to see. It's the third word. Notice who has reconciled us. It's not, but, but listen, you've reconciled yourself to God, so now everything's okay. It says, but now he reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death and that to present you holy. Not just pretty good. Not a good person. But as someone who's holy. And we can't do it by ourselves because we know we can't be good persons on our own. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be seen as holy and without blemish and free from accusation. And then notice Paul is just one final thing to say in this section. He says, verse 23, he says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And why would you not continue? After all of this, it says that Paul said you'd have to be stupid to not continue this. You'd have to be crazy to not continue on and look because look at what Jesus has done in your life. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So there's an invisible, almighty creator who came to earth in the form of Jesus who made everything for his glory. And we as people have belittled his name. We've argued against him. 
We've declared that our ways are better than his. We've constantly questioned who he is and what he's done and why he's doing it this way. We've lived lives of hostility and rebellion against our creator. And all this while breathing the very breath he gives us to fill our lungs. And so you need to realize that when Paul says that we're forgiven, we're reconciled through Jesus, that God has done this in our life. And that is worthy of all praise. And that's worthy of all glory. And that's worthy of worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords in our lives. And so I told you to think about verse 18, so I want you to think about that again in your mind and think about the supremacy. And Gary, if you can go back to 18 and look at it again. Because, because of the supremacy of Jesus, because of who he is, that in everything he might have the supremacy, he deserves the preeminency. So preeminent is a word that simply means the foremost, unrivaled, superior, unequaled, and unsurpassed. That's who Jesus is. It's that he is first in everything in our lives. He's first in our life. He's first in our family. He's first in our marriage. He's first in our school. Young people, he's first in our dating relationship. He's first in our church. He's first in my entertainment. He's first in how I choose to live. He's first in everything. That's the place that Jesus should have in my life because he is supreme because of what he has done and because of who he is. And some of us, our finances are out of order this morning because Jesus has not had first place in our finances. And some of us, our marriages may be out of the order this morning because Jesus has not had first place in our marriages. And some of us, our dating relationships may be out of order this morning because Jesus has not had first place in our dating relationships. And for some of us, it may be that Jesus, sorry, that your family is out of order this morning because Jesus has not had first place in your family. Because when Christ is first in your life, he starts to make everything else put in its proper order. Listen, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. And that doesn't mean that everything else is going to be right. Because when you understand that Jesus created everything, you understand that also there was rebellion. And so there is evil that is present on this earth. And sometimes we just live in the places where evil comes in a little bit too close. Or where disease steps in way closer than we wanted it to. Or when there is tragedy that happens that we didn't ask for. But because Jesus is preeminent, Jesus is first in our lives. And because Jesus is first in our lives, I put him first in my family, and I put him first in my job, and I put him first in my marriage, and in everything that I do. And can I talk to families for a second? Because parents, this is something you have absolutely got to get, because if you do not teach your kids to love Jesus, the world will teach them not to. And that is something that we have to understand as families. We don't just come and play church once a week. We come and live faith out every day. And this worship we do in here on a Sunday morning is a representation of the worship that we do all of our time outside of here. And so live for God here, but live for God outside of here. And there is every reason you can because Jesus is the supremacy, because Jesus is preeminent in our world and in our lives. Now, I can say all that. And it can sound really good, but it's really hard to live. And that is what the cross of Jesus is all about. Because in the cross, we find the forgiveness and the grace that helps us go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is who I want to be. I want to be someone on fire for you. I want to be someone who's living for you. And Jesus allows that to be possible by his grace, not because of what we've done, but only because of his mercy and his grace in our lives. And that's what Paul was wanting the Colossians to see.
So that verse 18 is your goal. That the supremacy of Jesus is the way you live your life and you come to Christ and you recognize him not as how you want him to be, but you recognize Christ as who he really is. So there may be some of you this morning, and I'm saying this, and it's like new glasses. You've never seen the leaves on the trees before, but you've seen them now, and you've seen them this morning. And listen, if you're not walking in a daily relationship with Christ, if you've never given your life to him to receive his forgiveness, to accept the relationship with Jesus and walk with him and be baptized, I invite you to do that. And if you're not ready to do it now, then make it soon. But don't let this life keep going by where Jesus is the supremacy and you say, no, nah, I'm good myself. I'll just live for myself and we'll see how this all works out because it's not going to work out okay in the end. So if you've never started that relationship with Jesus, we in a moment invite you to take a first step with that. And I'll be up here and we've got shepherds that are in this room and some will be in the back and, and some will join me up front if they need to but invite you to come up. I'd be glad to talk to you about that all day long. But if you're in this room and you have been in a relationship with Christ, but he hasn't had first place, if lots of other things have had first place instead of Jesus having first place, then this is a time that you can say, God, I want you to be in the first place in my life. Jesus, I want you to be preeminent in everything that I do, that you can be in with Christ and not just walking in a relationship with Christ that's somewhat distant and sometimes close and sometimes not. It's hard to live in this fallen world and keep Jesus first. But God has made provision with that through the forgiveness in Christ and through the indwelling Holy Spirit that comes in our lives that we can say, Jesus, I want you to pre be preeminent in my life. Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. That you're foremost. That I want you to be foremost in everything that I do and everything that I say. That you're unrivaled. I don't want there to be anything that rivals you for control in my life. That you're superior. I want you to be superior to all other things, all interests, all hobbies, all everything in my life. I want you to be first, Lord. That Jesus would be unsurpassed. That your love for him would be unsurpassed by nothing else. And that he'd be unequaled. That, Lord Jesus, there would be nothing that equals my devotion to you because it's so far above everything else. And so this morning, if you need to do some business with God, and you do that in the quietness of your own heart right now, I invite you to do that. If you need to come up and share something with us and just come and say either for the first time or for the thousandth time, Lord Jesus, I want you to be first, you can do that. So John's going to lead us in a song. The song is Jesus at the Center, and what a song to talk about who Jesus is and where he should be in our lives. Let's stand and sing together.